Hello, and welcome to Skeleton Songs. <laughs> where, where is that from? Uh, it's from my boarding school days. It's how our geography teacher used to talk. Oh, yeah? I wasn't taught geography at boarding school because I was only there in the sixth form, so I can be confident that I'm not libeling anyone. We had a geography teacher called Mrs Widgery, and she couldn't pronounce the word mountain. It still haunts me. You're not going to segue? A geography is the theme of our podcast today, Lottie Beverly. Uh, is it? No, I not quit. really, but it's on an island. It is on an enchanted island. You haven't even mentioned this is a new season of Skeleton Songs. I was Songs, just going to say, thing. so, you know, we've been busy, we've been doing stuff, we've been making games, we've been writing things. Stuff has been doing us. Okay, that was weird. Um, and now we're back, and new season for Skeleton Songs, we, we think the theme for this series is going to be... Uh, magic in Literature. Yes, magic in literature in the voice of Alexis's fabricated geography teacher. <laughs> it's very specific, but we feel there's a niche. You know another name for fabricated geography? Enchanted Island? World building. Uh, do you have any opinions on world building, Alexis? No. I hear you're really good at it. I'm sorry, you're breaking <laughs> up. <laughs> um, right, well, magic in literature. Shoot. Yes. Uh, there's some of it. It's sparkly. Job done. I'm going to talk about The Tempest. Uh, so You I, love I, The Tempest. I fucking do. And I didn't for years. This is the thing. So as you know, the books you have to do at school often are books you don't love. And for A-levels, which are, I have no idea what the American equivalent is. Um, that SATs? But, I don't know when you do SATs. No, nah, there's all like standardised tests, aren't, aren't, aren't they? Anyway, there's other people in the world besides America and, and the UK. Also, I'm given to believe. <laughs> Uh, A-levels, the, the, the pre-university sort of um, higher exams um, that you do. You do them when you're 17? Uh, if you're smart. I mean, some of us do them when we're 18. I'm a gene baby. What can I say? Anyway, um, were The Tempest and um, Dr. Faustus. And I think, honestly, doing those two books at A-level um, helped sick. set the course of my life. Yeah, I know. And I... Loved Faustus even at the time. Um, we'll do another episode on that. We, we, we were talking about this beforehand and we said, do we think we can do the Tempest and, Mar- and Faustus in? Nah. Nah, so we did another one for lo- local boy, Christopher Marlowe. Lovely Chris love Marlowe. Christopher Marlowe. Knife just down the road from where I'm sitting now. Yeah, what, what a chancer. <laughs> oh, and he was so handsome and weirdly looks so exactly like my ex-boyfriend. I can't get over it. Uh, we don't know for a fact he died, do we? <laughs> you say my ex-boyfriend is the ghost of Christopher Marlowe. I'm not saying he's not the ghost of Christopher Marlowe. <laughs> I mean, he's not. I've never seen him in the same room. You've seen him in sunlight. <laughs> he's quite pale. Anyway, enough about my ex. The Tempest and um, Dr. Faustus. So, uh, uh, the tragic life and the death of Dr. whatever, long time. Anyway, <laughs> The Tempest I hated when I was 18 because, like, uh, I, I was I was dim when I was eighteen, um, and what I thought about the Tempest is is it doesn't really have a plot. It's sort of like a badly run role playing session uh, where Same. there's this uh, <laughs> super powerful NPC. Imagine being the players in the Tempest. So the story of the Tempest. Do you want to do it? You, you're, you're the one with the degree from the real university. I mean, having you, you have to say it hasn't got a story, but sure, then you can, you yeah. can throw that bomb over to me. Um, there is a shipwreck onto a magical island run by Prospero, Duke of Millen, ex-Duke of Millen, I should say, and his sexually naive daughter, Miranda. And then there is a, a spooky spirit called Caliban and a lovely, slightly naughty spirit called Ariel. And then a bunch of hijinks happen. And basically, Prospero teaches people the error of their ways before tying everything up in a nice bow and sailing back to Malin to, to re-inherit his rightful dukedom while um, his daughter finds uh, hubby in the prince and everyone says they're sorry. Apart from... Da, 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 
um, uh, his brother who betrayed him Boo. and the king's brother who was going to betray his brother. Boo. And both of them are like, nah, we're going to say that we're sorry, but we're not really sorry. I take exception to your description of Caliban as a spirit. Well, I think that's his... the interpretation, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, we'll 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 get into the the, the taxonomy we'll of that. But otherwise, I think it's exceptional. He's the thing of darkness. I know he's a thing of darkness. The thing of darkness. I I acknowledge mine. That's. Um, I say that weirdly frequently. Yeah. I do have two cats. Though. I mean, well, that's ultimately why I stopped hating the Tempest once I'd grown up very slightly. Because the quotes. Because it's. I mean, it's Shakespeare very near the end of his career, and you think Shakespeare um, uh, knew how to, to to do the old playing earlier on by the time he gets to the end of his career he rolls up his fucking sleeves and goes for it and every every line crackles and and and, and it's the kind of thing that after 40 years is it 40 years no 30 30 years after i i did it at school i still find myself quoting bits i mean okay i've met it since but still and this thing of darkness i acknowledge mine i saw a performance when i was in sixth form of the tempest by a company called cheek by jail who did uh, intentionally sort of um, provocative experimental versions uh, and they uh, some of it the, the performance was very good I thought the bit where they cast the King of Naples as Margaret Thatcher was a little bit on the nose uh, but uh, some of it was hysterical some of it was brilliant uh, and at the end um, when Prospero says to to an old Caliban this thing of darkness I acknowledge mine he kind of goes over and I think sort of puts his hand on his head and crouches down next to him mm. and and it really feels like a plot twist the implication as far as we could make out is it is his that, son is that it's his son which mm. would kind of work as the reveal because um, Prospero isn't the first on the island uh, Lottie mentioned Prospero uh, uh, Caliban and Ariel so the backstory is of course that there's this witch Sycorax boo Who's kind of a woman wizard? Where uh, would her beard go? A woman wizard from Algiers. Whoa! So she might be African as well. Oh well, that's right out. Although it's been the subject of debate because she's blue-eyed, which might refer to the fact that she's got blue rings around her eyes because she's pregnant. Probably just means she's blue-eyed. So mm. she might be like a Berber Arab or something. Anyway, we don't know. Uh, so Sycorax gets cast out from her homeland because she's really dangerous. She shows powerful. She can command the moon. Um, she's pregnant. Um, Ugh. Probably not by a human being. Ugh. Uh, there's a god called Setibos she works We've all been you, there. You know what gods and witches get up to. Uh, and so she gives birth to, to, to Caliban, um, who's, who's some, you know, maybe he's a spirit, maybe he's a human, maybe he's some half thing. Obviously stands in some ways for, like, indigenous people on an island. Um, uh, well, okay, I'm going to take issue with that. Please do, because I think you might take us through the same things I do. So, so what, what you've just run through is a lot of interpretations, and, mm-hmm. I've, and I'm sorry, as an English student, I have to be nerdy about this stuff. So, so the text itself, firstly, Shakespeare, we don't really know what he actually wrote, right? Because he didn't write it all down and then pr- send it to a museum to say this is the 100 official text of William Shakespeare written in 1610. What he did was write it basically in the back of toilet paper, and then actors acted it, added their own flair, directors put their stuff into it, politicians inevitably got involved, and at some point, somebody watching that play wrote it down uh, William I'm running <laughs> low in here uh, I'm, I'm an act four <laughs> um, well you just perforated people's eardrums there but um, but we'll see what we can do in mastering um, but 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 so so uh, when people say something like for example Caliban is, is in some way representative of indigenous people um, firstly I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's as simple as that because Shakespeare is an excellent writer and it's it's not like one-for-one one metaphor land right mm-hmm. but of course you're right that the idea of basically a, a person who is not 
native to an island being shipped there and discovering native people, especially ones that they then basically enslave, is mm-hmm. obviously a, a narrative ripe for indigenous readings and um, colonialist reasons, which of course it has done later in life. So, but I think it's quite important not to say that this is what he represents, because going back to the spirit point, you're right that I think Caliban is very um, tactile and very mm-hmm. like a lot of a lot of the imagery used about him and a lot of his speeches are, are very sort of elemental and physical and often quite grotesque. Um, and that's deliberately uh, contradicted by Ariel, who's a sort of super fey, light-spirited, ethereal character. Mm-hmm. And Caliban's all like, yes, but I like mud! And he, of course he has his famous Caliban speech, which many people listening probably know about, where this character who has been portrayed really as, as very kind of gross and, and a bit sort of animistic. Oh, oh, thou didst prevent me! I would have peopled else this Kyle with Caliban's. Yeah, so he does at one point sort of say regretfully that he hasn't had an opportunity to rape Prospero's daughter Miranda. So, you know, he doesn't he doesn't strike you as a wonderful chap necessarily. But he then has this extremely beautiful Shakespeare at his mm. best speech where he talks about the magic of the isle and how beautiful all the nature is and how he wishes basically to be free of Prospero and basically free of everybody else so he can run around enjoying this, the, the bounty of nature. And it's really moving and gorgeous. And it comes surprisingly out of nowhere because literally in like the next scene, he's mm. getting drunk and um, saying he'll give Miranda to some other bloke and then being like, give me more wine and then I will fart and you will laugh. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and so, you know, obviously Shakespeare knows what he's doing here. So so my point was was just to summarise that everybody in this play, which I think a lot of scholars have um, (laughs) uh, drunk a glass of wine and described as a problem play, um, are, are very complicated. Well, this is, this is, this is... Even though they seem very simple. I I agree, I agree. And and, and, and um, I'm really glad you said that. Um, but you'd be amazed to hear, no, you'd be amazed to hear I, I, I agree. For, and you, you come at it this from the sort of literary angle and I come at it from the like historical angle, which is pretty standard. And, um, uh, I, it's what I, made up. <laughs> what I said was that he, but what, the, the Tempest? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, we'll have to terrify. No, but, but the this, this history in which Shakespeare lived. One of the histories. Uh, one of the many. Um, Can we make him live in all histories? Are you going to let me get through this one out? Okay. Uh, the... Um, that sounded really grumpy. I'm sorry. Uh, See, I'm being oh, impressed. Last. Yeah. Well, that's the, well. So that's the thing, right? Is that the natural reading after a glass of wine is Prospero uh, is, is 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 the white European um, putting the locals down um, and also patriarchy. And what I what I said was Caliban is something like you know can be seen as a stand-in for, and I think it's impossible not to see him as a stand-in for. But when Shakespeare wrote the Tempest. The there weren't any English cornies to speak of at all. They were just trying. We were just trying, I guess, to get started in the West Indies. There were some expeditions out there. Francis Drake had been paid twenty years before to sail around the Pacific, blowing up Spanish people, taking their stuff they'd previously taken from um, uh, Indigenous American people. We just found a Virginia. Uh, no, hadn't we? No, it's before then. I'm I pretty Virginia- sure. Well, I know Virginia was named specifically to honour Elizabeth I, but I suppose it doesn't mean that Elizabeth I had to be alive when they found I think it. what it was is, though, I said it would be very easy to, to, to check, and if I'd done my research better, we could have. I hope people are enjoying um, this history lesson but, of us guessing. But I think <laughs> that there, were, there were some abortive attempts to establish colonies in the West Indies right. and in what became uh, uh, Virginia, the New World. And they kept, you know, Roanoke famously didn't last. There was one of the Bahamas that didn't work out. Uh, England first... First English people landed in India the, the year after the Tempest was performed, just to sort of give you an idea of how far this was from the. That's a good fact. 
Yeah, but obviously the, the uh, Spanish, the Portuguese and the Ottomans um, were big on the old uh, colonies at the time and Elizabeth I and then James I both had um, a yen to have some overseas dominions of their own to bring back clothes and gold and all those things. And you probably know that the first the command performance of The Tempest was for James I. I do. And James I's two big interests were... Um, marrying off his daughters, who were definitely virgins, to uh, basically appropriate other royals. Oh, that explains the mask. I didn't know that was... Mm. Ah, okay, so Oh, I thought three. you were leading me into no, this. Okay, I was what are your two else? points? Again, really revealing our interests. <laughs> um, exploration. Right. And, you know, depending on your point of view, uh, discovery or ravishment of, of, of the new world. Uh, because the other European powers had, had brought back a lot of riches, mm. and he was very interested in funding exploration mm. at the time. The West Indies was was was, was in his eyes, and um, still vexed Bermuda. That's that's uh, never the line from Tempest or um, Dream. It's Tempest, isn't it? What's the line? There's something about the still vexed Bermuda. It's the Bermudas, basically the Bermudas that are troubled by by being becalmed. It's either Puck getting stuff or it's Ariel getting stuff. I forget. I think which. it's Puck. I mean, I don't know. Anyway, so that's that's, well, but, so, so that's, that's that's you know a focus of uh, of English attention at the time. And it's important to remember as well because it's very easy to approach the Tempest these days and think, oh yeah, you know, Magic Island, I'm with you. G- mm-hmm. Give me what you got. And at the time, part of the draw of the Tempest as a, as a performance piece, um, similar to James Bond, really, uh, I found out a while ago that James Bond at the time was incredibly aspirational. Basically, he was a rich guy who got to go abroad and particularly eat lots of stuff. The eating is really important in the books. You don't see it in the in the films half as much, but the eating in the books is all about, you know, and I had what I call an avocado and then I had some <laughs> caviar and everyone at home basically in like 60s Britain is like, I've literally had a tin of beans this week and then some more bread. And so reading this book was incredibly magical and, and, and interesting. And um, Elizabethan audiences watching The Tempest didn't just go and say, oh yeah, whatever, mm. it's a magic island. They went there and said, "What? There are there are small patches of land covered in jungle where they have birds with gigantic, colourful beaks, and then and then ships can arrive, and there's magic, and there's witches, and like it was incredibly exciting as a sort of um, as as just a place before you even get into any of the plot or the magic or the beautiful words or or, or the funny bit when they all get drunk and kiss the book." I didn't realise till I was looking at it that it was. The I was going to say Elizabethan, but it's Jacobian, isn't it? It's um, Jacobian, Jacobite, whatever the hell. It's King James. Liz was in the ground by then. Yeah, but he was possibly writing it during. Uh, Elizabeth I'm... died in 1903. 1903? Jesus. 1603, sorry. But he was, I thought he wrote it in like 1610. It was certainly um, published in 1610. But again, I, I we know very little to about your, I yield to your knowledge. But I feel like Elizabethan and Jacobean, we can get away with that. Fair. Uh, uh, Ruffs. Yeah. Ruffs were in. Some of us might be pedants sometimes. Anyway, the point is, <laughs> it's sort of the equivalent of, of like Strictly, because it's all about the costume changes. <laughs> I think so they're that's all, true. All, running, all three of the Tempest, they're running on and off. Ariel is in like, what, six different get-ups? Seven? Most of them sparkly, probably, over the course of the play. I, I love Ariel so much. She's so fun. I want... Oh, it doesn't matter. Tell, tell, come back to I, I, I want to hear though. Uh, but... So King James' two big interests, apart from making sure his daughters are safely married and virginal, yep. um, were one, exploration, and two, magic. Really? He was, he was big into... He wrote a treatise on magic. Uh, he didn't. The Demonology of King James. Because I, I read something that, that put me onto a totally opposite track, but finish your thing. I think it's probably going to be the same track, because he, he... So as far... So King James was a proper scholar. I mean, he, he was very learned by the standards of I literally of today. didn't know that. Um, but he was particularly interested in um, magic and witchcraft because he, as far as he was concerned, 
England was swarming with the fuckers. Well, that's what I was going to say. I right. know that there was a sort of cultural concern, sort of like the satanic panic, but with actual Satan, um, that there was sort of creeping into the backwaters of British villages, mm-hmm. kind of a, 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 again, atavistic interest in things like witchcraft, particularly Sycorax, potentially being this sort of ultimate baddie, the sort of like woman who's not even pretty, but has weird powers that are quite scary and, and she's sort of there and, and and we don't like that um and and that one interpretation goes is why she is mentioned in caliban is explicitly described as this sort of earthly horrible child of her loins and we don't like him mm. but we do like ariel because it's quite hard to say well caliban's bad and ariel's good if we think about them as both being children of the isle which they sort of are um and both in the employ of uh prospero which they both definitely are um, but ariel was confined by Sycorax to the tree. But this is the thing. So, so, so the interpretation that I had had read, and of course there are many all the times, particularly someone as wonderful Shakespeare, um, was that this uh, in the Tempest in the text was specifically basically saying, you know, basically like proper religion and proper scholarship. We like that. That's the sort of white magic. So, so yes, and let's go back to that. Because but the that's, wild earth that's, magic. That's that's Ooh. very specifically the magic bit of the magic in uh, literature that I was keen to talk about. Oh, we're but seventeen minutes with, in and we haven't got there, so you know. <laughs> well, the, the the thing with King James is 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 it's. I mean, topical is a bit strong because it's twenty years before, but fifteen ninety, they have the great witch trials of North Berwick. It's a bit of a thing. And the reason they have the great witch trials of North Berwick is that King James, who I think at that point was still just King of Scotland, not, not the whole of, of Britain, had gone off to Denmark to marry um, uh, Princess Anne of Denmark. And on the way back, and you're going to think I'm making this up, there was a terrible storm. There was a And his ship was nearly sunk. No! And he had to take shelter in Norway for weeks until it calmed down. And... The, this caused some fuss, and there was uh, um, considerable speculation that witches were responsible. So yeah. in Copenhagen, they started sort of like poking women with things and asking them difficult questions. And pretty soon, a couple of them confessed to having um, tried to drown King James um, by the storm uh, and sent devils climbing up the keel of his ship in order to, to sink it. And King James obviously was alarmed by this. When he got back to Scotland, he thought, Jesus, what if they're here as well? You know, they could have come home with me even. So they had witch trials and they, um, uh, yeah, uh, somebody confessed to having uh, thrown a cat into the sea to try to bring the storm on King James and um, uh, and having uh, had a black Sabbath and all the rest of it. And they, I can't remember, 17 people or something, they, they hung out or burned in the end. And this became a feature um, King James was really frightened of witches because they had, after all, tried to do a big storm on him. Mm. And some years later, there was, a, 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 I think, a, um, a a more substantial witch scare. Um, and they got this this great witch who kept going around the country identifying people and saying, yep, and she was at the Sabbath too. Uh, and then, unfortunately, um, they... Uh, um, uh, some sceptical soul brought back a bunch of people who'd been in court the day before, put them in different clothes, and she said, oh, no, I don't know them at all. Wow, it's almost like it was nonsense. And after that, she admitted that it was nonsense. Mm. And then they burnt and then, her. I was going to say, you've got to burn her now, don't you? <laughs> Which seems sort of unfair, given that she wasn't, in fact, a witch and made the whole thing up. But I guess they were really cross by then. But yeah, they got all the faggots ready. What else were you going to do? To be clear, that's British terminology that is actually correct. Or dried wood <laughs> that you put at the foot of a bonfire just in course. case anybody gets incredibly upset. I was reading depressingly of, uh, uh, about how um, 
Uh, and the great George Blackstone, who I know you're a, a, a fan of, I'm a big of, fan of Blackstone. Argued that although it was appropriate to burn male heretics, you couldn't burn lady heretics. Well, that didn't stop anybody. They constantly burned women in this country. Less than they burned men. Because they'd end up naked and that was indecent. Oh. Yeah. That was the reason. Don't. <laughs> I'm not the stand in for the. I'm all depressed now because we talked about burning. Anyway, the point is. So, we so back when, to magic and the tempest being great. So, so, so when, when Shakespeare brings the tempest to, to King James, he, he thinks, you know, I'm going to do a play for the king. Yeah. Um, I'm writing for the king's men. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. Please in the name. So um, I'm going to put expiration on it. Yeah. And I'm going to put um, uh, witchcraft in it because he loves those. And I'm even going to have this bit where um, a. A storm uh, is called upon to uh, to drown people, but then they survive, and then monarchy is restored. So it doesn't map exactly because you know well, nobody specifically tries to drown, drown the king. Yes, yeah, but but the king, and actually, you know, you come to mention it, the king of Naples is a much more decent soul than than the other people aboard the ship. He's the mm. least guilty, but it still doesn't map directly to James. You don't want to suggest that no. James is much more of a prospero figure than Ernest Van's Cave. Yeah. And I think this is where we come back to the, the post-colonial reading, which, as you say, does tend to be a bit on the um, straightforward side. Because Shakespeare wasn't thinking, how can I demonstrate the superiority of the European over uncontacted peoples, who mm. are basically uncontacted at this point? Um, he's thinking, it needs a storm, it needs witches, it needs magic, lots of costume changes. Where shall we put it? I know, let's put it in, in like the West Indies-ish, because King James is interested in those. What could we have then? Oh, we need a witch. Um, I tell you what, the witch could be dead. Otherwise, you've got like a wizard and a witch. It's too confusing. Mm. And have a son about. He's of ambiguous ethnicity, but he's basically a local. So there you go. I was reading as well. We probably read the same thing that Caliban was apparently the, the the prized role in the early twentieth century. Yeah, I saw that. That's really interesting. Um... I guess because people got you know bored with the idea of basically this upstanding patriarch who's always right. Mm-hmm. Um, but Prospero is complicated. Actually, he's not a very likable hero. And I think Do you not think not? Well, it's interesting that he obviously resonated with you because mm. one of the one of the major things that people have agreed on about a theme in the Tempest over the centuries is that this sort of sense of artifice and the sense of um, that Shakespeare's own sense of self in Prospero because of course he has his famous monologue at the end where he breaks the fourth wall and turns to the audience and, and essentially says you know please clap um, to tell me that this was great mm-hmm. um, and, and people consider it sort of Shakespeare's swan song he, he wants to go out with a bang he wants to almost reach through his own words um, through an actor out to his audience and say for God's sake tell me I'm good so I can mm-hmm. retire um, and again, that, that might not be the case. It might have turned out that, that William Shakespeare was like, oh, yeah, and it rhymes, so that's the end. But but there's a lot of, of evidence to support the idea that he knew exactly what he was doing and he kind of felt like Prospero. Um, but but no, I think he's a complicated, not particularly likable person. He's not very nice to Miranda. Um, I read an interesting interpretation that said because he has given himself so much over to magic, he's become quite ethereal-like Ariel. Mm. And he's not very good at being human like Caliban. And so he's fine sort of dispensing complicated... Um, Greek masks to explain how important it is to be chased before marriage Mm -hmm. but he's not very good at explaining um, or or talking to his daughter about her mother which which you'd think would be quite an easy thing to do this is interesting we were talking about the Tempest a few months ago so so two things I I didn't didn't know you told me one is why they put that stupid fucking mask in do you want to talk about the mask briefly oh the masks okay so so the Tempest is great but there is this basically totally insufferable part of the play and I think I'm qualified to say that as an English graduate it is it is awful you have my enthusiastic endorsement um, it's so awful that some 
bit of our house just fell off when I mentioned it. Um, it it's one of those things that just hasn't borne the test of time very well in the same way that the bit in Hamlet that's about basically men falling over a dog is, <laughs> is not very funny. It's just not the same humour that we I'm have not. anymore. <laughs> um, so, so there's this this bit where basically Prospero has engineered um, Ferdinand, the, the, the sort of totally wonderful and slightly boring prince, and Miranda, the totally wonderful but slightly boring daughter, um, to fall in love. And, and he's like, hooray, you're love. Right, now sit down on that rock, because I'm going to shimmy up some magic Greeks. And it's like Ceres and Hera and all these like basically quite boring Greek goddesses um, who come in and like slowly pass around like bowls of grain and then over the course of this totally tedious never-ending scene they also sort of in high verse um, espouse the importance of things like uh, virginity before marriage and that even though if you really fancy someone you shouldn't kiss them because then you're a skank and it just goes on and on and on and on and and again to a modern audience reading this certainly as, as a kind of uh, when you analyse the text it's boring as sin if you watched it in the 17th century, um, it was probably a lot more interesting because you basically got to see people dressed up Just in, in glitter and, and, and have sort of magic effects. So it was prob- that was probably making up for the fact that the text itself is not terribly interesting at that. And it's kind of moral and it gets just dry and boring. But I'm delighted to say that in Shakespeare's classic, classy style, about halfway through, I think he gets bored of it as well. And he gets Prospero to stand up and go, <laughs> yes. wait! And, and everyone goes, what? And Prospero goes, someone was trying to kill me. Everyone's like, wait, what? And he's like, oh yeah, I forgot about the whole, like, my brother was going to murder me plot. So hang on, Ariel. Off you go and sort that one out. So so it does break abruptly in a, in a funny way. Um, but so yes, it's terrible. One thing I said earlier was, was, was that, you know, I hated The Tempest when I was 18 because I thought the plot was awful. And, and the plot is, as I think I started to say, it's like... It's weird. It's weird, but it's like if you've got a sort of dull D&D session where the whole point is there's an immortal wizard who you basically can't touch. You get on the island, you bubble about for a bit. And yeah. You, you see some scary things and he turns up and he says, everything's okay. Go home. Go home. Yeah. Here's some XP. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and we'd be like, walking over, Jesus Christ, can we get a fucking different GM? <laughs> Ronald's awful. Yeah, it was the One time star. last last week when he had the, he had the the immortal emperor Ronaldus as well. I think that might be a self. So so, uh, but now especially sort of you know we think of it in terms of, of there are very few good Bond plots. And if you think of of, of the Tempest as somewhere between um, Strictly and James Bond. Uh, and oh, I feel, like, see, I feel like I stab in my heart. I feel like you know I, I love Shakespeare. He's so brilliant. Though I think he also had a sense of humour. So so it's not. That's not fair, but I. It's also not, but the point, point is, it was it, it's 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 a, a structure in which they hang a whole bunch of for the time cutting edge special effects. Did you read yeah. the bit where apparently um, the stage direction was the Mariners have to enter wet? They literally had some kids standing by the stage door, probably with a bucket, so that when they come on the stage, they're obviously sort of up close in 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 the the globe or whatever. I think it was it was actually Whitehall that they did the first performance. Um, there, all these sailors would be dripping. And they'll be shining in the, the torchlight. Yeah. I did read a, a, a critic being very rude about a performance in the 18th century where he said that there was an incredibly lavish performance one year that had apparently 140 stagehands behind the scenes to help mm-hmm. manage it all. And the critic said very tartly that um, you, you never saw them, but you never didn't hear them. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, go on, what you were saying. Yeah, that's it. So, so if you look at if you come into it plot first, it's... It, it's uh, that's not what it's about. It's, really. it's, it's not what it's about, but it took, it took me an embarrassingly long time to, to recognise that. I think The Tempest, more than anything else, was responsible for me not doing English at university. I did linguistics really? as well. Really? Yeah. That's so sad. Well, it wasn't just The Tempest. Generally, this, the way that English tends to be taught at school is basically the, the, the writer has made this sort of puzzle box. 
um, and they've locked away a whole bunch of sort of facts or sweets inside and you have to go at it with the right keys or surgical instruments or tools and you can crack them open and get them out mm. and there's a couple of ways in which this is is this is invidious although kind of inevitable when you're teaching to to, to make get people through exams um way one of course is is, is that you you basically vivisect the test as text as it lies twitching before you and it's hard to come away interested not that many 17 year olds will read the tempest and think immediately oh my goodness you know my eyes have been opened uh but also it, i didn't really believe what people told me about shakespeare um, he was really good well i mean even i could tell he was good but there was this idea there were all these things to be found in his writing and i just mm. thought i don't believe it he's some bloke uh, scribbling away, as you pointed out, on toilet paper, um, in a hurry uh, to do a sort of uh, fun play for King James, mm. and he's he's taken the time um, to put all this sort of readings about um, feminism or uh, the patriarchy and uh, the wonders of nature and uh, brotherly enmity and all these things. He sort of packed them in there like a, a guy painting miniature pictures on an egg, and of course he fucking hasn't. If you've lived a long, interesting life as a, a writer and artist in, in Elizabethan London, um, then you've got a lot of stuff going on when you write. And I think the quicker you write, the more there is in it. Well, I, don't, so I, I honestly don't know if you wrote quickly, but, but what I would say is we have talked, I can't remember if we've done it being recorded before, but you have certainly talked about Christopher Alexander's... Oh, yeah. But it's Citizen on a Tree, I think percent yeah. Right, so, so if it, we haven't listened to, to that. Essentially, it's that... Um, really effective art whether or not you like it or you think it's brilliant but very effective art often uses something very specific but speaks to a, a very wide human set of experiences so something like The Tempest is obviously a very specific weird story about some very mm. specific characters doing very specific things but you can read into it because it's well written mm -hmm. uh, basically anything you want which is why Shakespeare continues to be interesting when you perform it because it's not just a sort of very specific contextual you know story about 17th century London it's, it's, it could be about colonialism, it could be about feminism, it could be about politics, it could be about, you know, basically anything because mm -hmm. the text is so rich. That's his power. But I totally get that as an 18-year-old reading what essentially was a, a fairly boring yeah. jaunt on an island, you might not have got that. Yeah, and I was interested, I kept sort of thinking, well, when is he going to have a big wizard's battle with the ghost of Sycorax summoned up from her crypt? It does feel like a missed opportunity, I agree yeah. with you, because Prospero is set up as this, like, really learned, quite scary wizard and there's lots of times particularly when Ariel and Caliban are there um, where they cower before him and like these are presented as magical entities um, Ariel is often kind of almost angelic I mean he, he seems particularly magical um, and Caliban is obviously sort of potent but, but it's unclear exactly what he is and to see these two things so I can tell you what he is oh yeah what is he he's moth and Ariel's <laughs> lantern <laughs> You're going to have to explain it if anybody hasn't played Culture Simulator. No, play Culture Simulator, it's great. There's <laughs> probably some quids off, a lot of heaps taking money off it, because apparently my work shouldn't be valued at its true price. All right, Caliban. <laughs> Jesus. Anything else you want to say to the people? Uh, Laurie's great. Uh, so so this, this is the distinction you drew so earlier. Moth. that on he's the, chaos. He, he, yeah, he's, he's, he's the earthy, woody, woody, rooty thing. And, and I'm, I'm obviously drawing broad strokes here, but... Um, when we were reading up on the background of the Tempest, was the first time I came across the word goetia, which is a Greek word, mm. which I've heard pronounced in about four different ways since. Uh, goetia. <laughs> goetia. Oh. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, that, that is, it's compelling demons to do things. And um, Is that actually what it means? Uh, I, 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 Use it in a sentence. Uh, 
Yes, yeah, see you. It got me on the spot here. See, I have a, I have, I, have a, I can I can save your butt by mm. telling everyone the funny story about my mum, who's a special needs teacher. Who when she teaches her usually dyslexic or, or um, uh, dyspraxic kids uh, a new item of vocabulary she then encourages them to use it in a sentence to make sure that they've understood not just the word but how to actually use it and inevitably every single one of her students says the same thing which is i had a blank in my <laughs> old house um, i had a goetio in my old house there you go no, so what i can tell you is um i think it was the lesser key of solomon uh was a grimoire which is doing the rounds a little bit after shakespeare had written the tempest but appeared to draw from older sources when we talked about goetio in terms of the formulae and rituals you would use to conjure demons so it's like it's like a sort of um uh uh recipe book for, for it's the classic sort of summoning book you know there's this demon, I've heard of it. these are his attributes i also and worked on cult simulator of course okay so but that's that's the whole thing the, the catholic church doesn't approve of that no that sort of thing no. king james doesn't approve of that giordano bruno had been burned in 1600 I was thinking about him because you, you've got—he he was a monk, wasn't he, at the time? Who was yes. quite, quite very impressive in his learning, and, and apparently advanced the Copernican theory of, 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 you know, actually how everything worked in space. So, so it was clearly more than just some sort of mad occultist, but he did have particularly interest in, in hermetic. So this is the thing—you've you've got this, this division between on the one side you've got witchcraft and Goethe, you've got people summoning up demons mm. to drown King James. The other side you've got people like Giordano Bruno and John Dee mm. and King James, mm. all of whom are scholars, and the division between astronomy and um, natural magic and neoplatonism and stuff mm. about transmigration migration of souls is all on that side it's all studying but of course you know it can sway back and forth across the boundaries especially because some church authorities didn't like people challenging received opinion one of the other things um, that astronomy lent to was heliocentrism once you started saying that the sun was the center of things you're basically Covering yourself in tar. Oh, that's so much worse. <laughs> I'm not sorry I spoke over you on a podcast. Yeah, I'm no, well, that's fine if you to speak. Ugh. So there's this, there's this tension, and that's, that's the, you know, two, two views on magic is, is, is the moth view. It's this, this thing of drum beats and, um, what's the phrase? So it's, it's um, because Aero was too delicate a spirit mm. to um, enact uh, Sycorax's earthy and abhorred commands. Mm. Uh, she, he, she puts him in the, in the pine tree mm. and that's the thing on the one hand you've got um ariel bouncing about probably with glitter um making storms happen in the sky mm. and sending people to sleep and on the other hand you've got caliban um who's who's uh, may or may not be the child of setibos and and certainly is not quite human furting around the undergrowth doing low comedy but also being kind of as you said Authentic. There's a lot more to him, yeah, and and I think one of the things you spoke about when you were making cultists was the was a uh, dichotomy between the Dionysian and the Apollonian, which is exactly what what, what you just described and what we see mm-hmm. in the play. You've mm-hmm. got this deliberate contrast between the kind of the 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 organic, earthy, low but still powerful and and kind of chaotic, um, with this very controlled, delicate, um, aerial magic, mm-hmm. um, and Prospero is very clearly more aligned with the aerial intelligent stuff you know he, he he wasn't he's not like born magic he when, when he is cast upon the island by his evil brother um with his infant child miranda i think it's what 12 years ago um he he doesn't have any magic abilities at all he just has lots of books because he's a scholar he's an intelligent guy um and because basically he has nothing else to do on the island other than survive and be cross he he focuses on his books and he teaches himself magic and then he meets um ariel frees him from the tree and in payment ariel becomes his servant and helps enhance his 
uh, magical abilities even more. Um, so by the time we, we see him in the play, he's a, he's, a, he's a proper adept. He's really good at what he does. And even though he does it quite a lot through his servants, rather mm. than actually saying, higgly, hoogly, pokely, here's a storm, kapow, um, he's still very powerful. And that it does feel like a missed opportunity that we have this guy who's meant to be super magical. Now, part of that, I would think, would be uh, practical restrictions. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if you write in uh, a play, you know, insert amazing magical display in mm-hmm. the 17th century that's going to make it much harder for your play to get performed mm-hmm. but Shakespeare was no was no uh, stranger to that one of my favourite facts about him is um, in Antony and Cleopatra which is brilliant I think that's one of my favourite of his plays and, and you wouldn't think it's particularly interesting but but it, it's gorgeous um, I there's know a I whole, like this story God. there's a whole uh, naval battle that takes place sort of off screen um, and it's infamously impossible to stage, particularly in the Globe. But apparently Shakespeare deliberately sort of wanted them to like flood the Globe and it just sounds like he kind of just didn't like the guy who was on duty that day or something because because it's just so unnecessarily massive and it, it goes on for about five minutes and then, and then that scene is done. But if it's not on the sea, that scene doesn't work. So, Ugh, Anne, let me tell you about the fucking execs at the Globe. <laughs> exactly. Are you going to resign again, dear? <laughs> yes, I'm going to fucking resign again. <laughs> but you did last week. Fuck off, Anne. <laughs> You're very sweary in this episode. Is it because you're yes, thinking about it's, Caliban? Yes, Caliban, exactly. Well, yeah. okay, so this is what I'm going to say about Prospero. It's interesting that you don't find him likeable, and I think, obviously... I don't dislike him, but I'm surprised at how difficult I he is you. to like. I think, I think, you know, somebody who is sort of Orsia and Apollonian, and a dad uh, as well, You are such hurt. a dad, it's true. Uh, but also, I said to you a few months ago, um, when, for unrelated reasons, I was poking about in the tempers, he's a bit weird about women a few times. Yeah. And there's this particular bit where he's... he's when he's talking about he, her mother. Yeah, he says, she, she says, you know, he says, like, my, my daughter was a, a princess, approximately. Yeah. Because um, Miranda doesn't really know much about her, yeah. her life because for poetic license reasons, she hasn't bothered to talk about it for 12 years. So right at the start of the play, she sits down to basically talk to Prosper and give him an ability to, to monologue with the audience. And she says something like, tell me about my mum. Yeah, and he's like, okay, well, so... so um, uh, you know, your mum was this, this rich, fancy lady, and, and she, and, or, or you were rich in your nursery. And he says, "But, but, but, father, am I not about your daughter?" And he says, "Thy mother was a piece of virtue, and she said thou wast my daughter." And it's such a sort of weird, vulgar, unnecessary thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think you're my daughter because. I never had doubt to, to, to... But see, that's interesting, because again, getting my, my lame English lit on, mm-hmm. that, that could mean multiple things. It could be um, a deliberate point that Prospero, whilst particularly being associated with Ariel and the Apollonian, has a bit of the Caliban in him mm-hmm. too and finds it a bit funny to talk about sex. It could be that it is simply a reflection of quite sexist attitudes in the day. It could be Shakespeare making a funny joke for the crowd because I think it's it, funny. What you've said about the mask as well, sort of, I think, makes sense of it, it, it being him... Him hammering a point for King James's uh, mm. benefit, but I, I, I uh, let me add another possible interpretation to which is that if you spend your life with your head in the clouds, that when it comes to dealing with details of, of um, sex and marriage and relationships, you're not always very. You know, I can think of academics and odd uncles who've who've said incredibly crude things and they've been really embarrassed when they've realised sort of how it's how it's come across because they're just not it's not part of the everyday commerce of their lives. And I can mm. see that. And I can see absolutely see Prospero as this sort of austere turret bound figure. That's the thing. He's he's austere and mm. and he's not even sort of consumed with revenge fantasies, which is what you'd expect. I mean the whole plot revolves around him ultimately sorting out the, the betrayers and, mm. and fixing And he forgives everyone. And then he forgives everybody and, and of course then famously Burn, drowns his is it burns his book or drowns his book <laughs> he breaks his staff 
um, and uh, deep than it ever than did ever plummet sound. He drowns his book. He drowns his book. It's it's gorgeous. Um, and again, that's interesting because basically, I think you know he can't really return to society whilst also being essentially a magic wild mm. guy. Um, but yeah, it's a weird relationship with Miranda. It occurs to me that I think he says more affectionate things to Ariel than he does to Miranda. He very much does, thing. yeah. I'm not think, really sure. Do you think they were doing it? <laughs> I mean, I hope so. Because <laughs> I love Ariel and I want to slash the hell out of this oh, out God. of this text. No, I don't what's, think... What's this sound of grinding stones from Stratford and Avon? <laughs> no, he would have loved it. Yeah, he would. He, he wouldn't care. Um, think of his sonnets. He was slashing everybody in his sonnets. Well, again, I think it's also interpretation because I know the dark lady... Uh, dark youth. That's that's the thing, right? It could be either way. And so it's not impossible that he, he had the occasional lad on the side when he wasn't going back to, to Stratford to the old well, trouble and strife. Handsome, handsome actors around, you know. What I mean, are you going to do? Yeah, inevitably. Anyway, um, uh, your feverish slashings aside. Oh, sorry, <laughs> going back to... <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, um, no, just to be clear, I actually don't slash Prospero and Ariel. I don't think that was a thing. I think it is... So you're to put that, fi- that image out of your mind, No, what I was gentlemen. going to say do was in the text, about... I think it is a, of a more... Um, I think Prospero is very much a father figure. Mm-hmm. And I think Ariel and Caliban are very much presented as his children whether that's explicit or not mm. and Ariel he's very kind to in lots of ways he obviously has great affection for him and the whole of Ariel's plot is that ultimately he's working so that um, Prospero will free him because he is basically an indentured servant because Prospero freed him and made this pact with him but but he is treated far better um, than Caliban who is literally kicked about and, and mm-hmm. has also been sort of tortured previously for being a skank and again like I said you know he clearly does have these animalistic instincts that that probably did need more disciplining than Ariel floating around saying woo look I made a magic cloud but 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 it's a very different relationship that he has I mean that's basically what Ariel does yeah. right um, and he sings a song about a cloud on fire a cloud on fire um, no he sings a song about bees he sings about bees he also sings a song about somebody's father's bones turned into coral so he does anyway um yeah what I was gonna say is I remember even from my my teenage experience the Tempest being a bit crestfallen that Prospero keeps saying all these affectionate things to Ariel, who nevertheless, you know, is bound to his service. Mm. And keeps saying, are you going to free me today? And yeah, so, so this is the thing. Prospero's Prospero, like, we'll Prospero, talk about it after lunch. No, but Prospero <laughs> says, says, we will talk about it after lunch. But, you know, he calls him chicken, he's nice, and he obviously yes, sort of respects him. Nice. But also, Ariel just wants to be freaking free. Yeah. And there's a real imbalance yes. there that's quite quite uncomfortable and interesting. Well, that's, I think, ultimately why, why it's termed a problem play, along with, I think, what is it, the... Uh, Oh, what's the weird one with the statue? Uh, Winter's Tale. Um, That's always the one with the bear. Yeah, but but bizarre. Um, we'll, we'll do another one on that. Um, and probably Measure for Measure too, because because it doesn't fit easily. And, and you know, we don't have this charismatic hero and, and then the ending isn't neat. And Prospero doesn't seem sort of happy and, and, and connected. And, and the whole thing is... Is is hard to reconcile in an easy mm. way, which is which is partly why it's so great. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm sorry for him. When we, uh, I, I went and saw uh, Winter's Tale with my ex uh, years ago in um, in the round in a Spiegel tent, one of those big <gasps> German mirror tents. Love a Spiegel tent. Gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. Uh, and it was interrupted by a tempest. <laughs> oh yes. We were yeah. The, the the very very high winds and the whole tent was shaking and the, literally like, the, the last. Pl- I mean, that sounds like a, a scene from. What's and bits of like styrofoam started falling from the roof on of the performers. And at that point, they halted the play and ushered us out and gave us our money back. Oh my god! But, but I was going to say, just just on freaking magic, the last thing, 
Um, what is the first, maybe the second thing you do if you're playing a mage in a game with the mage, magely stuff? I'm going to get this wrong. I mean, you're probably not. Just to think about what's, what's you, you're playing Tiny Tina. Right, so what's yeah. he, what does he mage do? He learns some fireball spells and he chucks it. There we go, fireball spells. How many fireballs does Prospero throw? Literally none. It's very disappointing. I believe um, your uh, only oh, no, didn't you didn't get did you get for the, the mushroom in the end? I'm, yeah. Got him for yeah. Okay, so it's, but you but you summon stuff. So these these are the two things we think about mages as doing um, sort of standard RPG things. Um, they summon things and they throw things, mm-hmm. and also you know they, heat, they they might heal and they they might protect most of it, but they do. Spell one is generally firebolt, lightning bolt, magic missile, something like that, because it's what you need to give somebody to make them relevant in combat. Mm. And in an RPG, and in a lot of post-Tolkien fantasy literature, you need to have people majors being relevant in combats because you you know you want them next to the the, the warrior fighting back to back or whatever. And Gandalf in, in Tolkien does the odd little bit of spell. Uh, of fire magic, I remember him chucking like burning pine canes around in the Hobbit and things. Oh yeah, that's sick. But it tends to be sort of off-stage stuff. And this, I think, very early, um, the Tempest and Faustus and Le Guin, which we will come back to another episode, form my opinions of what magic should feel like. And again, it's <laughs> cultist cultist simulator. Nobody throws fireballs. That's, mm. that's really explicit. Um, another shout out to Ivan Tolson who who. Uh, has had a, an annoyingly significant effect on my life for being like my landlord when I was at university and said some some interesting things. Who 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 pointed out the fireball thing? I think to be first, uh, but also you know, fallen in London, um, there are mm. literally no wizards. There are no people doing magic for a similar sort of reason. I, I I I've never liked the idea that being a magic a magician is like being a psychic. You know, you you you've got a list of spells that pop up rather like having access to an armoury, mm. rather than something that you do to various degrees if you know various amount of things, mm. like King James or John Dee mm. uh, or Prospero. We have a lot of interesting episodes coming up talking about the, the magic in Fallen London, the Lord, the Law of Light, all that yeah. stuff. Cultist Simulator's magic. Yeah, a lot of cool stuff. Is Cultist Simulator literature, Auntie Bevan? Yes. Oh, okay. God damn. Mic drop. All right, thank you for listening to episode one of our third series. We'll have more on slightly less sweary elemental. I doubt it. No, okay, it'll be just as sweary, but we'll talk about something else interesting. (laughs) Do you want to say it? Have a spooky day. 